0: It is so great for me to be with you here at Center Street. This is one of the great churches in the country. And when I was a fairly new pastor at at Tenth Church, I vacationed in Calgary, worshipped at Center Street. Not here, but it was a different building, a smaller building. You have definitely grown a lot since then. And then a few years after that, I came back to Center Street with a van load of people from our church, and we... Learned a lot about small group ministry from you all, and I chatted with Henry afterwards. And I remember him telling me that his goal was to live his life as an ordinary, faithful Christian. And that's always stuck with me. That's his vision for you, too. Not to be necessarily a spiritual superhero, but to live an ordinary life with Jesus. And so, my own life and teaching and and writing has been informed by that. So I'm really grateful to be here and and speaking is maybe a small way to say thanks for, for all the ways that you have blessed me. I was raised primarily here in Canada, but I was actually born in Japan. I ended up marrying a woman from Japan, and so I'm back on a fairly regular basis. And when I'm back in Japan, I sometimes ask myself, what would my life have been like if we hadn't moved away from Japan when I was so young, what would life have been like for me if I had been not just born, but also raised in Japan? And I think about the enormous pressure there would have been on me to get accepted into the right preschool. And then the huge pressure I would have been under to pass the test to get into the right kindergarten. And then eventually, great pressure to get admitted to the right university, and then to be picked up by the right company. And I breathe a sigh of relief as I think, thank God I wasn't raised in such a relentless rat race. But if I'm honest with myself, being raised here in Canada, living here, I haven't quite escaped the pressure to achieve. When I was younger, I felt the pressure to achieve in sports and in school. And then later, I felt the pressure to deliver in the corporate world. And now, I work as a pastor, and this may surprise you, but I still feel pressure to get things done in what many of you consider a more spiritual, less competitive vocation. Now, ambition is a good thing. But when we feel pressured to achieve at school, at work, in a relationship, or in some other sphere of life, then our life can start to feel like a burden. And if you have ever felt the burden to achieve at school, in a relationship, or in some other sphere of life, then Jesus has some very good news for you. At the beginning of this year, Jesus says to you and to me, words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together perfect Father in heaven, we pray that through the work of your Holy Spirit, the merciful work of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to wear the yoke that Jesus Christ has uniquely crafted for us, that we might live light and free. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this message today, I want us to look at this invitation, this promise from Jesus, and I want us to consider what it looks like to live a life of achievement, a life of significant contribution that does not rise up out of an anxious, worried need to prove that we are enough to ourselves or to someone important in our lives, but rather springs from a deep place of interest and gratitude that comes from knowing that we are already accepted by the one who matters most, that we are, in fact, cherished by our maker. I wanna explore maybe two or three practices that can help us live with a fresh sense that we are much beloved daughters and sons of God. Jesus here says, "'Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, "'and I will give you rest. And so if you feel tired or weighted down in some way, this invitation is for you. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest, or literally, I will rest you. How so? Jesus says, by placing my yoke upon you. Now, when Jesus uses the word yoke, I hope it's obvious that he's not referring to a yellow egg yoke. That would be sort of messy, right? unless it was hard-boiled. Jesus is not referring to an egg yolk. He's referring to a wooden bar that was placed across the back of the neck of an ox, enabling it to more easily pull a heavy load. And so here Jesus is comparing us to an ox. It's not very complimentary. It's not very flattering. If you're Canadian, like I am, you would probably prefer to be compared to an industrious beaver, our national animal. (laughs) I know people from Calgary work really hard. Uh, If you happen to be visiting from the United States, maybe you're from Florida, you came to Calgary for a couple of weeks to get warm. (laughs) Maybe you prefer being compared to a soaring eagle. But Jesus here does not compare us to a beaver nor an eagle, but to an ox. It's not very flattering, but it is apt because, like an ox, we feel weighted down by all kinds of burdens, all kinds of weights. Now, when Jesus' first hearers heard these words there in the first century, they would have felt weighted down by things like, will I have enough money to feed my family as they were living in this farming-based subsistence economy day to day. Uh, Parents would have been concerned about the health of their children in a first-century world where most newborns did not live to see their 20th birthday. And today we have concerns about finances, about the well-being of our family and loved ones, but we also have a burden that people in the first century did not feel as keenly. We feel the burden of wondering, have I done enough? Have I accomplished enough? Am I enough? In a way that wouldn't have been felt as heavily by folks in the first century because their lives were largely determined by the family they were born into and their social circumstances. If you're living in a place like Calgary today, for the most part, you have opportunities to, to climb a ladder at school or to climb a professional ladder or a social ladder. Those are good things. But what if you don't end up being successful or becoming the person that others projected you would one day be or you imagined you would one day be then you can feel like a failure. And so, if you've ever felt the burden to do something, to feel like you were enough, then this invitation is for you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How so? By placing my yoke upon your shoulders. Now some of you here may say, well, in order for me to rest, I don't need a yoke on my shoulders. I need a massage. (laughs) I need some time at the spa. Or as the weather is getting colder here in Calgary, I need an all-expense-paid vacation in Hawaii. But Jesus says no. Jesus says if you want to rest deeply in your body and in your soul, place my yoke upon you. Why? Because he knows that the yokes that we wear don't fit us very well. They chafe against the back of our neck. They weigh us down. And some of the heaviest yokes of all are the yokes of people's expectation in our life. And maybe the heaviest yoke of all is the yoke of our own self-expectation. And I know what that's like. As I mentioned, when I was younger, I felt the pressure to achieve in sports and in school. And later, the pressure to achieve in work. When I was single, I felt the pressure to be with the right romantic partner to bolster up my sagging self-esteem. And we can get trapped into an if-then kind of thinking. If only I can get this done, I will feel better about myself. If only I can get accepted to the right school, then I will feel good about me. If only I can get hired by this company, I will feel better about myself. If only I can one day buy a house here in Calgary, I will finally feel like a grown-up, like a real adult. But according to Sean Acor, a psychologist who teaches at Harvard, this if-then kind of thinking cannot be supported by science because every time we achieve a goal, our brain moves the goalposts as to what success looks like. So you get accepted into the right school, now you need to get good grades. The goalpost moves. You get hired by the right company, now you need to stand out in that company. You're finally able to buy a house here in Calgary. Now you start to think, I need a bigger house or a house in a better neighborhood. Our sense of being enough is not something that we achieve. It's something that we receive. Have you ever seen the movie Cool Runnings? Some of you have. It's loosely based on the true life story of Jamaica's attempt to field their first ever bobsledding team at the Winter Olympic Games here in Calgary in 1988. And there's one scene in the movie where the coach who has won two gold medals walks into a room where he sees his star bobsledder, Darius, carefully studying the bobsled course. Daris feels the weight of the world on his shoulders because he thinks, if only I can win a gold medal, then people will finally see me as successful. They will finally respect me. And the coach, who's won two gold medals, looks at Darius and says, Darius, winning a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without the gold medal, you won't be enough with it. If you're not enough without the gold medal, whatever the gold medal represents for you, you won't be enough with it. Our sense of being enough is not something that we achieve It's something we receive. It's not something that we grasp. It's something we're gifted with. It's not something that we create. It is something that is conferred upon us by another. And Jesus says, if you want to rest deeply in your body and in your soul, then take my yoke upon you. Now, what does Jesus mean when he uses the word yoke? It's not immediately clear in the text. And if a word in the Bible isn't clear as you read it, one of the best ways to figure out its meaning is by looking at its context. And so if you scroll back four or five verses, you will see that Jesus is just celebrating and giving thanks for his amazing relationship with his father perfect father in heaven. He says, Father, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have revealed your truths, not so much to the best and the brightest, but to children and to those who approach you with the humility of a child. And Jesus is just basking in the wonder of his love, friendship with his perfect father. And according to New Testament scholar, Daryl Johnson, the yoke that Jesus wants us to wear is the yoke that he himself wore. And Jesus himself wore the yoke of his perfect father's love for him. And so when Jesus says, wear my yoke, what Jesus means is that he wants you to wear the yoke of a perfect father's unique love for you and it sounds simple but if you will learn to live with the yoke of a perfect father's love on your shoulders the love of the father in heaven it will change the way you move through the world let me share a, a personal story here a number of years ago i was in japan and i was having a very honest conversation with a close friend of mine he was discussing a very personal problem in his life and We were very open, and partway during the conversation, I said, I've always liked Sakiko. Her name came up. She was a university friend of of this guy's, a friend from back in college. And and he paused, and he said, you know, uh, Sakiko is still single and still beautiful. You should call her. And I'm like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to socialize. He said, you, should, you should call her. Uh, she, she remembers you. She asks about you. She had a good impression of you. I'm like, I'm not here to socialize. And she, he pulls out his phone, dials up the number. The phone is ringing. He hands me the phone. I'm like, I don't know what to say. I, I, hello. <laughs> Hi. Uh, this is Ken. And she asks, are you the guy who went to Berkeley? I'm like, no, that was Jeff. <laughs> she had no idea who I was. I asked, uh, do you want to go out for coffee tomorrow? She says, no, I have plans. That's what I was thinking inside, I was crying out inside, like that kid. Thank you, that was perfect timing. And I don't know what came over me, but then I said, "Um, I don't know what your plans are, but could you change your plans? (laughs) And I wasn't thinking about it in the moment, but Japanese people have a hard time saying no, especially twice in a row, so the cultural norms were working in my favor. The Bible says all things work together for good. It's not referring to my dating life, but something else. Uh, And we went out for coffee. didn't go very well at all, but we did get married. (laughs) You know, not right then and there, but eventually. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is this. You wouldn't know this about me, but I am terrified of rejection. Especially rejection in romantic pursuit. And so as I look back, I've asked myself, given how afraid I am of rejection, how was it that I was able to put myself out for potential rejection and humiliation like that? And I think the answer is that I was slowly learning to wear the yoke of the Father's love on my shoulders. And when you know that you are deeply loved by the one who matters most, even though you are naturally afraid of rejection, You tend to make more risks or take more risks in relationships, in other kinds of ventures. You tend to move through the world with a bit more confidence and boldness and a little less fear of failure. And so wearing the yoke of the Father's love changes the way we move through the world. So as Henry mentioned, I've written a book called Survival Guide for the Soul. How to flourish spiritually in a world that pressures us to achieve. And in this book, I I outline some of the practices that help us wear the yoke of the Father's love on our shoulders. As you may be able to tell, I'm a very easily distracted kind of person. At any given time, I can feel like there are 126 chimpanzees jumping around in my head. And so at some point in the morning, I will simply take some time to sit and breathe deeply. Breathing in through my nose, breathing out. Breathing in deeply, breathing out. And then I'll start to wonder how much time has gone by anyway? And so I reached for my phone not to check my messages, but to open up a free app, and I tend to prefer the free apps, called Centering Prayer. And I set a timer to maybe 15 or 20 minutes so I'm not thinking about the time. A bell sounds, can you hear that? as though I were being summoned by a country church bell to pray. I continue to breathe in deeply. And through my nose and out. And then I start to think of all the things I ought to be doing my to-do list. And so now I reach for the Bible and I might pick a text that I'm familiar with And every time I'm distracted, I will repeat the scripture to myself in prayer. Be still and know that I am God. Distracted by something else, I fidget in my chair. Be still and know that I am God. Let me change the scene just for a moment. I'm from Vancouver, love spending time on the water. I do not own a sailboat, but I have friends who do. There have been times when I've been out on the water and I've seen salmon jumping out of the sea at 45 degree angles. There have been occasions when I've been out in the ocean and I've seen pods of dolphins. Very rare occasions where I've seen a couple of whales. There have been times when I'm simply sitting in the presence of God breathing deeply, and I feel upheld by this beautiful mystery that upholds the whole world and me. There have been other times when I've been out on the water and I've seen an empty styrofoam cup, a film of oil, maybe some debris, and there have been times when I'm sitting in the presence of God and I feel anxiety rise up in my spirit or a painful memory, a feeling of anger or envy, And I just lift these up to God. And I feel released of them. I feel free. I feel lighter. I continue to breathe deeply. And after 15 or 20 minutes, the bell sounds and I'm done. And I feel just a bit more relaxed. And throughout the day, just a little bit more aware of Jesus a bit more focused. And for me, spending time meditating on God and on his word is a very powerful way to wear the yoke of the Father's love on my shoulders. It is a survival habit for my soul. So that's something I do in the morning. And then in the evening, I pray a 500-year-old prayer with the help of another free app called Reimagining the Examine. I open it up, and this 500-year-old prayer offers some music, as you may be able to hear. And then it invites me to look back over my day, the last 24 hours or so, and to recount two or three things that felt like a gift from God. And so if I do that right now, I think back over the last 24 hours, I, I thank God for the chance to go swimming yesterday afternoon here in Calgary, not in an outdoor pool but in an indoor pool at the place I'm staying. Uh, the chance to have a dinner reconnecting with my longtime friends, the Gagniers, who are part of this church, Jamie and Aaron and their kids. You know Jamie? Yeah, and Na- Naomi and, and Carson. I've known Aaron f- since I was like in junior high, so uh, this really felt like a gift to have a late dinner with them after the evening service last night. And then just to be with you feels like oh, it feels so great for me. I know that if you're a regular here, maybe it's not such a big deal, but it's, it's pretty special for me to be with you all today. And, and so this may sound like really, really simple, but the, the, the studies show, the data shows that if you spend four or five minutes a day identifying two or three things that felt like gifts, then it will change the way you travel through the world. So one of my colleagues has been in the market recently for an Austin Mini Cooper. And so when she's out in Vancouver, she notices Austin Mini Coopers everywhere. It's not like there are now more Austin Mini Coopers on the streets. It's that she's been thinking about them, so she notices them more. And if you will take three or four or five minutes a day to identify two or three things that felt like gifts from God, here's what will happen. It will seem like more good things are coming into your world, even though that's not necessarily technically the case. And when you associate those good things with God's goodness to you, you wear more of the yoke of the Father's love on your shoulders. You feel more loved. It's it's simple, but life-changing. One more survival habit of the soul insofar as this message is concerned, and that's Sabbath. If you tend to be a workaholic, if you tend to work too much, and by the way, you don't need to be Asian to work too much. (laughs) You just need to be from Calgary. Then honoring the fourth of the Ten Commandments is really important in life-giving. It's a gift you cannot afford to refuse. But part of what the gift of Sabbath offers us, that is to really take a day 24 hours just to enjoy God and your loved ones and life is that it reminds you that your identity is not primarily determined by your making bricks for Pharaoh. But your primary identity comes from being a beloved daughter or son of God. We've got a 10-year-old son named Joey. He's not very productive. He loves to play with his toys, does not like cleaning up. He earns no money for our household, <laughs> although he loves money. Yeah, recently at his uh, 10th birthday party, uh, a friend from his class gave him a card. He opened up the card, and a bill floated out, kind of wafted out, a cash bill. And he looked at his friend from class and said, thank you. I love cash. <laughs> uh, so he loves cash, but it doesn't make any... Uh, And a couple of years ago, he was getting kicked out of class a fair amount. He's kind of rowdy and rambunctious. And so along with a couple of other rowdy boys, he was being sent out of class on a fairly regular basis. He's doing better now. But we don't love our son, Joey, because he's productive or because he earns money for us or because he's doing well at school or not so much. We love our son, Joey, because he's breathing, because he's alive, because he's our boy And God loves you not because you are productive but because you are his boy because you are his girl. And Sabbath is a way to remind us that we are loved just because we exist as a child of God. It's a way to wear the yoke of the Father's love on our shoulders. I've written this book as I mentioned called Survival Guide for the Soul How to Flourish Spiritually in a World that Pressures Us to Achieve. And We have copies available right after this service. I'm glad to sign them for you and your friends. I'll stay here as long as you want. 100% of all the royalties from book sales go to World Vision and to missions that work with vulnerable children. And so from my first book, we were able to to give away recently $300,000 to missions in Cambodia that work with orphans and vulnerable children. So I'm thankful that this book opened as a number one bestseller. It'll hopefully help a lot of kids. But I also want to say this, um, that uh, we can offer it at a half price, less than half price. It's retails for $21. We can offer it to you as friends here at Center Street for 10 bucks. But if you cannot afford the $10 uh, and you think it would be helpful at the start of the year to live with the yoke of the Father's love on your shoulder and this book some might somehow help, I'm glad to to buy a copy for you. I've got a credit card here that I think is still okay. (laughs) Seriously. And when I first became a pastor, I was making $200 a month. It's a long time ago and, and there's been inflation since then, but it was not a lot of money. And I was not able to afford to buy books or go to the movies or go out for dinner. And so on my day off, I would go to Indigo. I would pull a book off the shelf that looked interesting. I would sit real small and read behind a shelf Read, read, read. And when I was done, I would take a little piece of paper, put it in the book where I'd finished, put it back on the shelf, and I'd pray, God, please don't let anyone buy the book. (laughs) Seriously. And then I'd come back the following week on my day off and continue reading. And so I've set aside some of my own money to gift books to people who can't otherwise afford it. And um, I want all of you to live with a sense of God's love on your shoulders. And if we sell out, there's been a lot of people at Center Street at the start of this year who want to live this way, and so there have been a lot of books picked up. If we happen to sell out, we'll ship more and we'll offer it at the same uh, less than half price right, that we're offering today. So you can pick up a book afterwards in, in, the, in the lobby, in the foyer afterwards. Let me close with this story. When I was making the transition from the corporate world to the world of being a pastor, I enrolled in something called the Arrow Leadership Program, designed to help develop emerging Christian leaders. It was founded and led by someone named Leighton Ford, a Christian leader from Ontario originally. He's also the brother in law to the late Billy Graham. Twenty five of us assembled together for that first Arrow gathering. And someone later said, it was like we were fighter pilots in the movie Top Gun. We were sort of sizing each other up as rivals. And I was the the youngest or one of the youngest in the class, the least accomplished in Christian ministry, the least experienced. And so I was very eager to impress the founder, Leighton Ford, trying to wow him. One day I raised my hand real high in class, and I was able to summarize an obscure book written by an MIT professor. But early in my days in ministry, I stumbled as a a young pastor. I got into a conflict with someone that I was working with because of my own immaturity and lack of character. I was in a dating relationship and we were struggling to maintain certain boundaries. And here's what I discovered in my failures. That Leighton Ford's acceptance of me was not dependent on my performance. His love for me was not dependent on what I could contribute to his organization. He just loved me for no particular reason. 20 to 25 years later, we are now very close friends. I talked with him this week by phone. I can cry in his presence. I can laugh in his presence. I feel more at home in my skin than ever before with him. But it's not that I no longer want to make something out of my life and ministry in part to honor his investment in me. I I want to go for it. But it doesn't come out of this anxious, desperate need to be accepted and validated by him because I already have that. It comes from a place of gratitude. And this is what I want for you too. In your life with God, in your life period, I want you to go for it. I want you to give your very best but not out of an anxious desperate need to be accepted to prove yourself in your own eyes or in the eyes of someone important but out of the deep sense of inner rest and gratitude that comes from knowing that you are already accepted by the one who matters most that your maker cherishes you and applauds you. He deeply loves you. Let's pray. If you're here today and as we talk about, as I talk about being God's girl or boy, daughter or son, and you just don't really relate to that, there's kind of a disconnect. I want you to know that, that God knows you by name, He's closer to you than your breath. And 2,000 years ago, his unique son, Jesus Christ, after having lived a perfect life, voluntarily died on a Roman cross, absorbing your sins and shame into himself so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have a new beginning with God, so that you could be adopted into God's family as a much-loved daughter or son. And if you want right now in your heart, you can say, God, I don't understand it all but would you forgive my sins and make me your girl, make me your boy, make me yours. Would you be my perfect, and he is a perfect father. And if this is your heart, or if you've prayed this prayer before or something like it, Here are the words of Jesus to you. He says, if you are tired and weary, come to me and put my yoke upon your shoulders. And so if you're tired or weary in some way, maybe you feel like you need to do something to be enough. At the beginning of this year, would you say to Jesus, would you place your yoke the yoke of your Father's unique love for me on my shoulders now. Place it there. And as you receive the yoke of the Father's love on your shoulders, know that this is a yoke that will not weigh you down, but will lift you up. It's a yoke that will not burden you, but that will make you feel lighter and freer and more joyful. May you live in this lightness. May you live in this freedom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.